Hello and welcome to the Uncapped Podcast, proudly presented by Roast House Pub, where elevated culinary creations meet a fresh, evolving craft beer selection, making it one of Frederick's unique dining destinations. Hey everyone, this is episode 253 of the Uncapped Podcast, and I'm your host, Chris Sands. This week, I'm joined by Mark Bjornstead, the co-founder of Drecker Brewing Company out of Fargo, North Dakota. Thank you for joining me, Mark. Yeah, thanks for having me, Chris. Um, and I've, I've never been out there, but I have had your beer. It's absolutely amazing. So I'm really glad that you were, you were able to give me some of your time today. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it's a pleasure to be talking with you. It was fun hanging out with you at that festival. And uh, yeah, happy to be chatting about Drecker. So let's... Um, we, we we often start with uh, like a little bit of background of the founder or brewer, um, and then and like talking about how the brewery got its name and stuff. But I think you have a very unique brewery name, so I want to start off with that. Where did the name Drecker come from? Um, so Drecker the the name is uh, it's it's a Norse name. Um, there's a lot of Scandinavian heritage uh, up here in in North Dakota, and we wanted a word that, uh, and kind of a name that reflected that, um, but then also told a little bit of the reason why we were starting this brewery. And so Drecker kind of harkens to that, that the, the name for that Viking dragon ship, a, a, a Drecker ship, um, it'd be spelled with like uh, an A at the end, A-R rather than E-R. Um, and that's a really important story in, in our area because um, there's kind of a famous um, uh famous thing that happened in the the seventies and eighties, there was a gentleman that, um, had this dream of, uh, building a Viking ship, you know, scale Viking ship from hand, um, felling the trees right off of like the, our river corridor and, uh, sailing it to Norway. And, uh, so he did that, uh, built this ship, sailed it from the Duluth Harbor and in, in, on Lake Superior all the way to Norway. It was this uh, amazing story. Didn't go, didn't go perfect, but I think that's kind of the way it's supposed to go. And so there's, there's just this great, um, you know, saga around the the voyage that they took. Um, and then that that ship is preserved in a museum uh, here. And it's it's a really important thing to our, um, you know, as part of me growing up. Um, all of us, like you know, I went to uh, the middle school that was named after the gentleman that that had that dream and built that ship. And so that was kind of the roots that we wanted to hearken to. Um, but then when we looked further into this name for a Viking dragon ship, we also found because old Norse is such a weird language and there's um, lots of words have multiple meanings sometimes. Um, Drek and Drekker and um, Drekker, the way it's pronounced and, and said now um, is actually, it's the verb and um, an action around to, to drink. And, um, in Icelandic slang, it, it really means um, to, to go out and drink with your friends and kind of what that means to hang out, share a pint and kind of what what happens with that, that camaraderie and, and what's inspired around it. And that's that's the whole reason we do this. Um, you know, we're we're pretty honest that that beer is just one of the products we do. But the reason we do this is is not um, it's not the beer. It's not the product. Um, the reason we do it is because of what what the beer can can create. Um, so we believe in creating amazing experiences, beers that challenge conversations and bring up ideas. And then sometimes simply just a beer that brings people together, brings up thought and, and memories and, and great conversations. And then the community that gets catalyzed around that. And we think that's what's something that's so cool about beer as a whole, that 
when you get good people around great beer, amazing things start to happen and a community is formed. And, and that's one of the reasons that we love the craft beer scene is that it's, it's a giant community. So we wanted to, we wanted a name that, um, you know, reminded us of why we're doing this. Um, and I think, I think we, we get reminded of that every day. So what you're saying is the perfect brewery name. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> but we love it too. Cause it, it yeah. doesn't have to mean any of that until, until we start going down the rabbit hole of people. Um, yeah. and it's, I mean, I don't know how you say that in a word. Um, and so you kind of need, you need that meaning behind it, whether the word actually means that, or that's just your purpose for, for being in existence. I, I think that that's what great breweries do. Um, and so we're, we're really driven and, and kind of guided by that. But I like it, it, it just sounds cool. It's a cool sounding name, mm-hmm. but like when you wrap in like the slang meaning and everything, it could not be more perfect of a name for a craft brewery and like what you specifically and what craft breweries typically tend to be to a community. Mm-hmm. You know, we always kind of say like our, our kind of our vision statement really is that the beers are craft, uh, but our passion is much more than just the contents of a glass. It's about what happens when a few of those glasses get raised together. And that's what, that's what inspires us to make the beer. That's what inspires us to make such, you know, amazing quality beer and thought provoking beer. Um, and really it's, it's to honor the people that, that get around that table and share that pint. And we're just trying to make, make beers that honor those moments that people are out there creating. What is that um, guy's name? Cause I'm going to need to look up that story. Cause it sounds super interesting. <laughs> yeah. So his name is Robert Asp, A-S-P. And it's called the Yumcomst ship. Um, so that's HJ. So you'd start that, and um, that means homecoming in okay. um, in Norwegian. That's an awesome story. I feel like I mean, there's got to be like YouTube videos and so like in the <laughs> in the 80s when they built that museum, there's a I mean it's it's an 80s you know videography stuff, but there is a YouTube yeah. video that you can watch like the okay. maybe 20 minute kind of documentary on it, and it's a crazy story. Were, were there a lot of people involved in building it, or did he do it on his own? No, so I mean, he kind of started it on his own. The reason he did it was he um, he f- was he was a he was a teacher, a school counselor, and he uh, was roofing his house or doing roofing work during the summer off, and fell off and like broke his back. Oh, and so while he was laid up, one of his friends gave him a, a book on Viking ships, and so he read it and kind of had this idea. And then um, he started. I broke started, my back on the on a roof. I may as yep. well <laughs> start hand, building a ship. And yeah, build a ship and sail it across an ocean. That's <laughs> so he started doing it. Um, you know, he, uh, he there were some people around him that helped him. And then during the build, he actually was diagnosed with leukemia and uh, got really sick. And it kind of made a bigger community, uh, you know, rise up, carry that yeah. task forward, and and his uh, his kids. And I think a nephew or niece, uh, and then a few other people joined the voyage. And unfortunately, he passed away before they were able to take the, the the real voyage. But he did do like the test sailing up in Superior, and so just all together, an amazing story, an amazing family that did that. that you should totally I, check it out. Oh, I definitely will. Probably as soon as we finish recording. That that is the my plans for the rest of the day. I already have it uh, the tab opened. <laughs> Yeah, so we actually take uh, two of our, well, several of our beer names come from that story. And uh, one of them is they got in this really bad storm just outside of New York Harbor. And, um, you know, Viking ships, you know, these are 
these are sail ships. Um, they're not meant to be turning around in a storm and they got in this terrible, terrible storm. And, you know, the discussion of the boat was whether they should turn around and go back to New York or push through. And luckily they had an experienced captain from Norway who, who knew how to sail these. And, and he, he kind of told them that if we, you know, if we try and turn this thing around during the storm, we're going to, we're going to capsize and it's going to, if we even make it, it's going to be 10 times harder to go back. So we, the only way is through. And that's like, mm-hmm. that's such a cool idea that that's, that's yeah. how you do, you know, everyone knows that's the only way is through. Yeah. And when, during that storm, they, uh, they actually got hit by waves so hard that it uh, broke one of the keel boards and they were taking on water and they had to stuff that hole and then it broke the rudder off the ship. And that's like the most dangerous thing. Cause now it's going to start turning. And so that's one of our flagship beers, our, our, our red ale is called broken rudder. And then, um, during that same incident, uh, they had that dragon on the front of the ship and, um, a wave came, crashed, broke the dragon off the front, and uh, a couple of the guys were, were quick enough to, to grab it and uh, tie it to the tie it to the boat so it didn't sink or float away. And when they went up there to grab it again, it it um, it smashed up against the side of the boat in the, in the water, and, and one of its horns broke off. And they tried to grab it in the water, and it just sank like a rock. And I mean, because this is you know heavy, hard old wood, and then it's covered with you know fifty coats of lacquer. Yeah. And um, these guys looked at each other and said, like, that horn sank like a rock. And this boat is made out of the same thing. Like, we, <laughs> you know, obviously, this stuff doesn't float as well as we thought it did. And um, so we, we have a black IPA that we used to make that's called Igor's Horn because it's uh, that, he has that. So it's still in the ship to, in the museum today. Igor, the, the dragon on the front, only has one horn. And uh, we made that darkest, bitter IPA for the horn that's still down at the bottom of the Atlantic. I feel like there should be a movie made out of this story. They, they like, should. I get like, just in you know like a couple minutes of you talking about it. It has enough action and suspense and drama to support a movie. They need oh, and to, I can't. I can't even do it justice. It's it, it's really something special. And it, and it, that wh- where's the uh, museum? So that, the museums in Moorhead, which is kind of the sister city of Fargo. They they're okay. the. They're the same city, just a state line runs between a state state line river runs between them. So now I need to come out there, go to that museum, and go to Drecker because yeah, it's double. <laughs> There's more than just good beer out here. Yeah, the, the, plenty of stories apparently. All right, so the um, actually, why don't we take a real quick sponsor break and then let's dig into uh, what you were doing. Uh, earlier on earlier on in your life and what led you up to uh getting into craft beer and wanting to found drecker perfect we we will be right back uncapped is brought to you by one of frederick's original maryland craft beer destinations located off of urbana pike featuring a warm inviting atmosphere and knowledgeable staff serving up fresh locally sourced culinary creations and unique craft beers on tap Open seven days a week, our friends at Roast House Pub invite you to enjoy a casual lunch, happy hour specials, delicious dinners, and specialty desserts. Follow them on social media to keep up to date on their monthly beer dinners, mom's spaghetti dinner battles, and what beer is being featured for Buck Above Monday. Idiom Brewing Company proudly offers a delicious variety of beers to satisfy the most discerning tastes. Best known for their wide array of IPAs, delicious fruited sours, and robust porters and stouts. Idiom has a simple goal in mind, to bring people from all walks of life together, to enjoy themselves and each other. Whether you're a hophead looking for explosively juicy IPAs 
are one of the adventurous few looking to try boozy, sour, or complex flavors, or just looking to enjoy classic styles and seasonal favorites, they'll have a little something for you. Idiom Brewing Company is located in downtown Frederick, just south of the intersection of East Street and East Patrick Street, with ample seating directly on Carroll Creek. All right, Mark. So what what led you into the path of wanting to get into craft beer? You know, I think um, it's it's always kind of a an idea that just uh, never went away. Um, you know, it's something that kind of a spark that gets inside you. And then just that thing you just cannot give up. And this idea that um, idea that you can't stop thinking about until you bring it to life. And um, really, I came to to beer, um, you know, being a fan of craft beer, a fan of what breweries were doing. Um, and one of my my first um, experiences around it where I thought something was special happening in this industry was, um, you know, on vacations, going to, um, going to tap rooms. And I remember, um, you know, traveling to go on like ski, ski and snowboard trips. And, um, we, we hit up a couple of these little tiny tap rooms. This is kind of when tap rooms were really just tasting rooms. There's maybe eight bar stools and how you would meet, you know, other travelers, you meet locals, you meet some, there'd be one or two shifts, you know, a brewers coming out and, it kind of was the return of a bar where no one went there to watch a game. No one went there to, um, you know, just zone out. They went there to hang out and talk and see who they could meet and, and see, you know, have conversations with people about anything and everything. And um, the more we thought about that and the more we experienced that, we just fell in love with what tap rooms did. And, and we loved the beer. Um, my undergrad work was in, um, biochemistry and microbiology and, and did a lot of grad work on that. And so I was, I was brewing, you know, in a university lab, you know, doing yeast studies or, you know, figuring out sugar, sugar creation with mash and, and those things and, um, working on enzyme, um, potentiation. And I loved the, you know, I love the final product, but I love the, I love the science of it too. And that's when, that's when those two worlds kind of collided for me was when I, when that started to come together about where, I really, really um, fell in love with the physical act of making this stuff and the science and, and all the creativity that could go into it. Um, but then it, it doesn't stop at the beverage. It, it, that's when it just gets started to us. And so um, the other founders at Drecker all came to it with some other professional experience that I think kind of brought them to the point where um, where we either had the, the right skills to do this um, that they kind of cornered up everything we thought was important in the brewery, but then we all had this shared vision for where it went after that and creating that community, creating those experiences, and then really looking at, um, looking at beer is not, not what it is and not what it was, but what it can be. Um, and, you know, we love doing traditional brewing. Um, we make a lot of traditional beers and, um, we've won a lot of medals for, for all of those. Um, but, but what we love doing is experimental boundary pushing beers and, and seeing what's, what's possible out there as far as creation goes. Are you, fr- did you grow up in North, da- North Dakota? Yep. So where, we're where all you- from North Dakota, Minnesota. I grew up in Fargo, um, ended up moving to Moorhead. Like I said, it's like the same city, graduated from high school, mm-hmm. went to college there. Same with everyone uh- else. Did, did you enter, did you go into the workforce after college or like what, what on where in the timeline um, did Drecker become an idea and come to fruition? 
Sure. So um, uh, I, I was living in Minneapolis. Um, I had just gotten done with, with my anesthesia training. And so I was, I was, gonna, I was thinking about moving back to Fargo um, and starting practicing here. Um, and, you know, we were having conversations with a couple of the, a couple of the other people that were interested in starting this. And we were kind of complaining about how there wasn't anything cool happening in Fargo. We, we just, you know, we were in love with some of these other places we'd been or been living elsewhere. And, um, I think what, what kind of gave us a kick in the ass was that we started seeing some other people, um, in totally other industries or crafts or artists and things start to do really cool things. And, we kind of woke up and we're like, you know, I mean, this is our, this is our hometown. We love this place. It's got such a cool community. And if we want to grow it and, you know, push it and, and create something else there, it, if, if we're bitching about that not happening there, it's because we need to be doing it. Um, so that would, that's what inspired us to come back. Um, so I, I practiced here in town for uh, 10 years. And then this last year, finally, um, finally stepped down from full-time practice and, um, and just full-time at the brewery now. So were you an anesthesiologist? That- uh, a nurse anesthetist. Okay. What, what's the, I, I don't know. Yeah. It's the <laughs> same, the- same job. It's kind of okay. two ways to get there. Yep. <laughs> All right, gotcha. Um, so kind of like a doctor to a physician's assistant or nurse practitioner kind of Similar. thing. Or- yep. Okay. Yep. So how, um, who, who are the other co-founders and how did your group meet? Sure. Um, so the co-founders, uh, uh, would be, uh, Jesse, Darren, uh, and Mason and the four of us started it. Um, Jesse's background is, um, kind of in marketing and business administration. So we did, we do, at least, at least when we started, we did all of that in-house. Um, and then, um, Jesse had ran a, a, a custom print and design company for about 10 years. And so that was really great experience on, you know, just like, what is a PL and how do we do this? And, um, you know, those are kind of basic things, yeah. but, um, you can't teach yourself everything. And, and, um, so that's, that's kind of the corner that, that, that Jesse showed up. And then on the marketing side, um, keeping that all in house and, and doing the really creative stuff we wanted to do, we needed, uh, we needed somebody with experience on how to, how to get that done. Um, Darren's experience is kind of in process management and, and production. And so, uh, Darren came in and, and took over as, as head brewer and um, really, um, Darren is one of the hardest working, I'd say the smartest working people ever. It's, you know, creating those systems, working on efficiencies. Um, and then because we were doing such crazy, weird and boundary pushing beers, we had to be super analytical about the beers and kind of understanding what's happening in everyone. And then how can we exploit that? How can we change that? You know, where do we have opportunities here? And, you know, Darren, Darren just kind of always has a feel for that stuff, like the back of his hand. Uh, and then Mason's an engineer. Um, and so Mason's an expert at, you know, when we lay out the brewery and, and working on those efficiencies and process stuff, and then all of the forecasting and projections and all those, everything that goes into planning the brewery, that's, that's kind of Mason's end there that anything that comes in and goes out of the brewery is, uh, under his watch. That's, um, a really smart approach. And it seems like so many of the very successful breweries do have that where, the 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 starts of the brewery have like a well-rounded mixture of talents or comp, core competencies of the different founders. Yeah, and I think we try and um, you know we 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 work as a very round table. We try and make decisions you know in unanimous form, um, but we do rely on each other to 
to really, you know, speak from their corner um, and then also listen to the other people. So there's not really spots where people are overlapping or stepping on each other's toes. You kind of have to, you know, everyone has their expert corner. And so you respect that you, you try and learn from them and then uh, make a decision as a group. So, um, what was the first homebrew you did? Like, was it drinkable? Uh, uh, yeah, it actually really was. Um, the, so like I said, I was brewed in a lab and we always used to do kind of like cream ales and pale ales and, uh-huh. you know, um, we didn't always, when we were doing that, we didn't have access to the best stuff at homebrew shops were tiny and it wasn't as big then. And then, um, when I, when I would got into a little bit more and was wanting to brew more than I could really be at the lab, I think the first one I did was like, um, like a Sierra Nevada, uh, pale ale clone. And, um, I absolutely loved it. Um, we made that recipe constantly. And, um, I think we had the, I was living in a little sixplex and we had plenty of parking lot parties, uh, just off of that beer. How did you and the other co-founders meet? Um, so we're all, kind of locals around here. We all knew each other. Um, there's some family connections and, um, you know, we, we grew up around each other, but we weren't, you know, I think one thing we're kind of clear on, even if we did know each other from wherever the four of us weren't all the four best friends from growing up ever. We, uh, we all knew each other and we're good friends, but we kind of, uh, found each other, um, kind of just collectively talking about what we wanted to do or what we were inspired by. And the more we talked and the more we, um, started sharing those ideas with each other, we realized like, wow, like we're, we're kind of all on the same page here. And we, um, we just kept taking the next step and the next step. And then we were all of a sudden started a brewery. Accidentally started a brewery that became yep. successful. Yep. <laughs> um, what, how large of a footprint does Drecker distribute to? Well, I guess with through Tavor, uh, like nationwide. Um, yeah. So Tavor is huge. We're, um, we love those people. Um, I think they, I think they send beer to like 35 States, um, somewhere around there, pretty much wherever we'll allow it. Um, and then we do actual distribution, um, to kind of the major, major markets in, uh, Pennsylvania, New York, um, New Jersey, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Virginia, DC, Florida, Illinois, Wisconsin, North Dakota, Minnesota, South Dakota, uh, Nebraska, Arizona, Sanford, we like all of California, um, Oregon and Washington. And then we send beer to either the UK or the EU, um, maybe once a quarter. Um, why don't you like us in Maryland? Um, yeah, we, we get those questions a lot. Like, why do you, why, why do you, oh, I, for, sorry, I forgot Colorado. We send beer to Colorado because we no longer hate Colorado. Um, <laughs> but, um, we get that question all the time and, and we always have to remind someone, it's like, we don't, we don't personally hate you. We have nothing. <laughs> there's no vendetta. Like we, like, we don't see that there's a Kyle in, in Vermont. We're like, screw Kyle. We're never sending yeah. beer up there. Um, if you guys can get him to move, you yeah. can have our beer. <laughs> no, it's, it's, you know, we look at, um, we look at like big markets that we want to play yeah. in where, where we see crap beer scenes. And then really the, the biggest thing is that we need to find a, a distribution partner and, um, distribution is not favored for craft breweries. It's not favored for small craft breweries. And, um, 
you know, we're kind of a needy brewery. We come out with a couple hundred new beers a year. Um, it's not, not the normal way of doing things. And luckily over the last probably three or four years, um, distributors that kind of align with our values and where we see craft beer growing have been popping up all over the place. So we just need to find those, those places. And sometimes it's, it's, you know, we meet them through beer festivals. We, you know, they reach out to us or we were, you know, we're, we're starting to forge those relationships. And once we get those lined up, um, then we just need to have the beer. And that's, that's probably the hardest part is that we're, we're always at max capacity and trying to crank out more, um, every step that we can, but our building's getting tighter and tighter. Yeah. Um, Maryland gets skipped over by a lot of people. I think we, we're not, uh, I don't think we're as strong of a craft beer market, maybe like, like by density wise. So it's Pennsylvania gets sent stuff. Virginia gets sent stuff. And then we get ignored all the time. You know, I know a lot of the stuff around there is that there's, there's really weird laws along the East coast and it goes way that, back. And yeah. I think, I think Maryland's one where it's like County by County. Yeah. And that, that that's can been, change. yeah, that's been told me is one of the reasons too, is because of like every County has its own rules and things mm-hmm. can be different that a lot of places are like, yeah, that's, it's just not worth it. Yeah. I mean, we don't have a compliance department. Um, we just, it's <laughs> just, it's just Jesse and that poor guy has to cover like 20 States and, two countries or three countries and all this stuff. And it's a, it's a nightmare to manage that stuff. And so that, I mean, people ask, you know, when are you going to send beer to here? Like that is such a rabbit hole question. Of, yeah. <laughs> there's so many hoops. I wish that, I wish that beer wasn't the complicated mess that it is, but it is. So. Yeah. It, and it's a, it's slowly getting in better in Maryland, but I don't, it, I think it'll be a long road before it becomes like the, super friendly place it is for for distribution and for to be attractive for more places to send beer to sure uh let's take one more um quick sponsor break and then let's talk about the early days of drecker and then kind of give us a talk through to where you are today sure Uh, so we will be right back i buy my beer at district east in downtown frederick maryland They have an amazing selection of local and hard-to-find beers, and I love the option of making my own mix-and-match custom six-pack. District East is on Northeast Street in Frederick, in the same shopping center as Showroom Restaurant and Rockwell Brewery. Most weeks, they have over 950 beers in stock. Check out this week's selection at www.districteastbeer.com. To all you craft breweries, wineries, and distilleries out there, listen up. Atlantic Custom Solutions is the real deal in providing you branded growlers, ceramics, glassware, and accessories like koozies, coasters, and keychains. Their high-definition digital printing, organic ink, and low-fire process ensures your brand is printed in ultra-high definition, giving you a one-up on the competition. We've used Atlantic Custom Solutions for uncapped branded glassware and couldn't be happier with it. Check them out. Visit www.brandmybeverage.com or give them a call at 434-286-4500 to learn more about how they can help you brand your business. McClintock Distilling is Maryland's first and only certified organic distillery, handcrafting gins, whiskeys, vodkas, and cordials from non-GMO organic ingredients in downtown Frederick. Named the best vodka distillery in the country by USA Today, 
best gin in the world at the International Spirits Competition and double gold at the World Spirits Competition for bourbon, rye, and gin. Open now for tours, tastings, and classes. Come sample the most awarded distillery in Frederick today. At what year did Drecker open? Uh, so we opened in October of 2014. And when you opened, um, like what 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 size were you? Uh, like what size brew house? When just general idea of the what size you opened at? Yeah, we had a ten barrel brewery, uh, ten barrel brew house, just a two vessel, um, and we could we could maybe do about 500 barrels a year on that thing at right at that time. I'm assuming you're on a much larger setup at this point. Not necessarily larger, but it built for built for speed. Okay. <laughs> I'd say and and weirdness. <laughs> uh, we only brew on a 15 barrel system right now, but it's a four vessel. Um, okay. and it, and it's designed to do kind of the weird stuff that we do. Um, so it's got tons of weird automation and kind of custom features on it um and right now we do about twelve thousand barrels a year yeah so even like and that's still but that that scales up quickly yeah with the way that's configured um what, what and how how long had you been open when you made that change um that took a whole new brewery um okay to, to move to so we we opened up in a spot in downtown fargo um kind of a 5,000 square foot space. It was about half tap room, half, half brewery. Um, and that was awesome. Downtown Fargo is an amazing place. It's such a cool little community. It's kind of the heart and soul of like Fargo local. Um, and then we were growing out of that, you know, that was, you know, we were in a full on retail space It you know, we didn't have a back lot. We didn't have storage stuff. If, if we made a pallet of beer, it had to go out. Um, and so, um, about, uh, this the fall of 2017, um, we we made the announcement that we were moving out to a new place, and it took us it took us about a total of maybe a year and a half to two years to to redo this building. We moved into a 1880 uh, locomotive repair building, and oh, so cool. it's this giant, cool uh, old brick building, um, all open up on the inside, and it's kind of just this big old factory. And, um, it's one of the oldest buildings in Fargo actually. And so it's really cool. Uh, we moved out here, uh, and opened the brewery out here in the fall of 2018. Um, and that, um, you know, we don't, we don't have any investors. We don't, um, you know, we, we, we don't like taking on a ton of debt. Uh, so we bootstrap everything and we grew this probably about every three months. We did a big, big expansion, big expansion, and I think in August was the last expansion that uh, we did of this year that put us at that ability to pr- produce about 12,000 barrels. Um, and that's the last thing that fits in the building. Um, the last two expansions we did weren't supposed to fit, uh, but we figured it out. <laughs> we, we redid some stuff, but I think now it's for real. Um, we're probably not putting any more tanks in this place. What size tanks do you use? Uh, we use all 30 barrel fermenters and then we either, we either blend into 30 barrel brights or hundred barrel brights. Have you run in is, so you said you mentioned the age of your building. Is that in a historically protected status or this you... building was like, it should have been condemned before we got it. Um, <laughs> you know, it. It's an awesome old building, but it's, it's not really in the core historic area. It's okay. Um, it, it was built by the railroad. So it was kind of a little bit out of downtown 
And then it's in an old industrial area in town. So it was kind of forgotten. Everyone kind of drove by it and never really knew what it was, but it was vacant for decades. Um, and so we didn't have any problems with that. I think it was, I think everyone in the community was just really excited to see this building not get torn down just like us. Yeah. Cause that, that was one of the, I, I know a couple other people who have breweries that are in um, a historic district and their buildings protected. And it just, there seems to be so many things your hands get tied on for, from what you're able to do. Yeah. Um, and I think the big benefit that we got into is that, um, you know, an old building like this just has a soul and a character and it's so inspiring to work in. It's, there's tons of windows, there's skylights. It's, it's it, you can, it, it just, it's awesome coming to work. You, you see the, the sunsets out of one whole set of, side and set of the windows. You see sun, sun rises coming up in the morning on the other one. And it's, it's a great place to work. Um, and then if you can, uh, you know, we had a great partner in restoring the building and bringing it back to life. And if you can do restoration and not find the money pit and, you know, have it be on schedule, you know, restoring an old building is far cheaper than, than building a brand new one and doing that. So, um, it actually worked out really well for us that I don't know if we could have afforded a building this size, um, to, to do this when we were at that point, but we got really lucky with the project and everything went well. And this building has great strong bones. So the restoration went great. Unless you have to restore it to period correct. <laughs> yeah. it, and that you have the historical society telling you what you need to do. But that I looking flipping through some photos of it, that building is beautiful. Mm-hmm. And like the interior um, screams Drecker. Like it just like it looks like it should. Mm-hmm. And we were really careful to not touch the building with too much stuff. It's, you know, there's a couple blank walls, you know, our cooler is, you know, a huge cooler that's in the middle there that's, you know, wrapped with, with a mural. Um, and then, <clears throat> yeah, we kind of let the building show itself and then the brewery take the rest. Yeah. Like the, like with all the exposed beams and things in the, the, uh, it, it almost looks like it's the, an upside down chip yep. sort of yep uh that's a beautiful building i de- i need to find my way out there at some <laughs> point well so next year we're opening um just like attached to the west side of the brewery it's all gonna be one complex we're building a hundred thousand square foot food hall entertainment like entertainment center event center and hotel Um, Oh, wow. And so, you know, we love how people come here from all over the country. Um, And it's it's really an honor to show them what we think is awesome about Fargo, to give them recommendations about where to go and visit. Um, And the more we learned um, and the more more we saw this opportunity, we really wanted to continue to orchestrate and offer that experience for people. So uh, we wanted to build out this market um, and food hall that, shows off the best of uh, what we think is Fargo kind of makes a place for small businesses that probably aren't brick and mortar stores. They're, they're not that big. They're a little more niche than that, but they can, they, they survive in a, in a collective in, in kind of a collaborative environment. Yeah. So that's what that market does. And then um, we don't make, you know, we're not restaurateurs. We're not chefs. We don't, we don't do food, um, but we really want people that come here to be able to enjoy it. So we wanted to just partner with restaurants. And so that's where that food market comes in. And uh, the other part is that one of the things we love in creating those experiences, just doing fun, weird, um, experiential events. 
and we were busting at the seams in the brewery. So we built an event center onto it so we could continue to, you know, expand our ideas, uh, let them grow even more with, with the types of events we want to do. Um, and then we wanted to offer somebody that, that all encompassing experience with the hotel. So it's, it's got hotel rooms on top of all this, this building. They're all, uh, they're all designed to be for a specific beer label that we do. And there's a oh, cool. beer, beer label mural in every room, kind of Easter eggs. And we tell, we tell a little bit of the story of the brewery or, or that individual beer uh, in the room. And it, it's going to be so much fun. So there'll be like a plop room, a drippy room. Oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> nice. All right. So I guess I should just wait till then uh, yep. to plan and plan trips. And I don't even have to think about where to stay. Yeah. <laughs> So what is um, the craft beer scene in North Dakota like? Are there a lot of breweries or is is it sparse? Well, I mean, I don't know what a lot is. It's 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 probably appropriate for the size of North Dakota. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's um, there's awesome breweries out here. Um, yeah. But the population of North Dakota is sparse. You know, it's. The three biggest, um, you know, the, the next closest town to, to Fargo is about, well, I don't know, maybe it's 70,000 people and it's about 70 miles and it's 70 miles of field. It's not okay. like, it's not East coast, like where it's 70 miles, but you're driving through a suburb the whole time. It's, yeah, it's the big sky and wide open spaces. Um, and then Bismarck, uh, the capital of North Dakota, which is, you know, probably a little over a hundred thousand people. It's a little bit smaller than Fargo. That's, um, that's three hours away. So it's spread out, um, but there's great breweries in all of them. What's really cool about the North Dakota craft beer scene is that even though it's small by, you know, some other standards, um, it's super diverse. Um, it's, uh, you know, you have traditional brewers, you've got uh, wild spontaneous brewers, you've got, um, you know, experimental stuff. You've got people that, you know, dabble more in the lagers, that dabble more in the hoppy side. And it's, it's awesome to see. Yeah, that's cool. So you have the diversity to like where everyone can get a little bit of the pie. Yep. So what um what is Drecker's focus beer wise? What are the the beers that you love to make? Um, you know, the, the beers that we that we really love are, are the beers that challenge us the most. Um, you know, however that is. You know, I think um Honestly, lagers are one of the most challenging beers to make. Um, they, they're, there's beauty in the simplicity, um, but also there's nothing to hide in there. And, and we love making, um, you know, crisp, tight lagers. Um, those are personally our favorite thing to, to drink at the end of the day. Um, and then we really, um, we're really passionate about making just big, huge, juicy IPAs. Um, super crazy fruited and adjuncted sours, um, and then um, giant barrel-aged stouts full of all kinds of weird adjuncts and fun ingredients to them. And every every step of those, all three of those beers is is, is kind of like what we live for in the brewery. It's you know IPAs. We love how tricky those malt bills are, and, and to get them fluffy and uh, but then you know still finish clean. Those are some of the stickiest beers to brew and you can always mess the mash up there and then it's there's just limitless types of hopping um and, and ways you can build that super juicy um you know amazing hop profile in those and um i mean we 
we can drop an IPA as fast, you know, as, as fast as we want to. And, and customers love them. We love making them. There's just no end to what we can do there. Um, and then on the big fruited side, um, those are, those beers are so much fun, uh, from the souring side and, um, how, how we've grown that and, and, and built into, you know, our systems on how to do that over the years. Um, but then also, um, on like the engineering and practical brewing side, how do you physically get this much fruit and yeah. this many pounds of granola? And, you know, how do we get that flavor into the beer? And, you know, we're always trying to work towards, you know, whether it's a certain kind of pie or, uh, you know, a milkshake we're trying to make or cheesecake or whatever it is. Um, you know, we've done, we've done trail mix. How do you recreate those things? Cause you can't just add trail mix. Um, you know, the raisins aren't going to come through as loud as the peanuts do. So you have to, you kind of have to augment each one of those yeah. flavors so that it comes, everything comes through in the end, exactly like if you were tasting it. And well, that's, that's a, that is so much fun. That's, um, I, th- I, I love that point. Cause I think that, um, that craft beer purists will, uh, criticize heavily fruited sours or things like, and just call it as like cramming a bunch of fruit or fruit fruit puree into uh, a beer but i don't i don't I, think they're purists i, I think they're trolls well, I, yeah that's a i you know purists understand the science behind it and will look at that objectively um yeah uh I, there's people that hate it hate it because they ain't it and um they just want to you know I, i've never understood the the aggression to come out against something that, yeah. that it's, it's kind of like oh other people think this is really great but i don't understand it yet i need to divert all of my hate towards this yeah um that's just such an abnormal way to live your life um and i just think like i just my new year's resolution and like my little my little thought at the end of the year is that i hope those people find something uh purposeful to do with, with 2022 and <laughs> and uh you know yeah, like just let people like what they want to like. If it's not hurting people, just let them like it. Yeah. No, and I don't think people but, understand really what's like you said, what's going on behind them and how how much work and creativity yeah. and and really like it's beyond other beers, it's major engineering. Um and we're we're constantly getting new equipment fabricated or process stuff that we're doing to try and figure out how to make this stuff. And it, like you said, like breweries that are doing it well aren't just dumping what it says it is in the beer. Mm-hmm. Like it, and even then, if it, they're doing that, there's still a fine line of how to do it and make it taste well. But you're you're choosing a flavor goal and then deconstructing it and then figuring out how to do it in a way that it'll uh, saturate liquid and not just fall out or not impart flavor yep so it's i don't think it it's definitely way more difficult than the trolls will try to make it sound like it is yeah but that's that's the challenge and that's i mean that's why we get out of bed in the morning to do it and then um you know the same thing on the stout side those beers are so much fun to brew they take you know 20 hours to get off the off the brew deck um, you know, sometimes more and, um, and then, you know, to, to try and create this beer with the forward thought of what, what a year or more's time is going to do with what Oak and a barrel, uh, and, and that, that old spirit is going to do to this beer. And sometimes the beer that you make on day one, you know, you're making it so designed to age and change, 
Um, you're, you're almost like feeding the barrel um, with something that will turn, you know, we're going to make this and it's going to be just going to be loaded up with caramel malt flavors. And that's so we can just crank up that molasses and prune in there. And, you know, that takes time to produce that, that flavor. And so it's, it's really uh, hopeful, <laughs> kind of, <laughs> you know, to, to think like, all right, in, I can't wait 18 months to try this beer and see if this experiment worked. Yeah, um, a and, dash of hope, a little bit of luck, and yeah. lots of skill and planning. <laughs> yep. And then uh, to take this liquid that you know you've been sitting in barrels for one to two years, and then subject it to this crazy adjuncting process that you hope is going to work. Um, you want to do something super crazy, but it might destroy the whole beer in the process, and then you lose <laughs> you lose two years out of it. And um, yeah, that's um, you know there's just a lot of uh, of care and caution that goes into making those beers. <laughs> what, uh, what is your personal favorite style of beer to drink? Um, I mean, I, I love, I love well done lagers and, you know, crisp and clean. Um, but I have this just little tiny obsession with, um, with like a two and a half percent, like mixed firm found farmhouse table beer. And, huh. um, I, uh, there's only a few breweries that do stuff like that. And every time I see one of those, I think two and a half percent and like two and a half percent farmhouse, but like, I cannot wait. And I hope that I can drink 10 beers of these and just <laughs> sit here all day. And, um, just, I just love them. I've there's, there's definitely some local places here that have made those. If I ever see one, I'm going to send you some. Cool. I've, I've never heard someone so enthusiastically talk about a table beer. <laughs> well, I mean, I love how much character there is, how much yeah. time went into that, and and that it's 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 only two and a half percent, and you can enjoy several of them, and the conversation can keep going. And then I also yeah. think about like that beer came from a time when when beer was a provision, when it was like you know a guaranteed right of working uh, that you got this, and it was safer than water, and that. I, I can just imagine the time when people, you know, put in a hard day's work and were handed like a, a liter of this stuff. And then they'd all sit down and enjoy all these beers together. And um, I, I just love thinking about that, that type of drinking and, and, and that type of uh, that, that time. What approach do you take for your sour base? Are you kettle souring or you yep. using sour vissier or Philly sour? Nope. Um, not because we're against sour VCA or any, any of that stuff. Um, we, we like kettle souring because we have, um, you know, we started ke doing kettle sour beers in like 2015 and we were one of the first breweries that were pushing out kettle sour beers on a production level, like trying to make the same beer every week. And we had to work for over a year to figure out, um, you know, working with our lab and a few other breweries across the country on, like, all right, these kettle sours were great one-off beers. We all liked doing them. People loved them. But how do you keep this culture alive all the time? Because we're treating it like yeast, and it's not liking being treated like yeast. Um, and then how can we, um, on a for a kettle sour, you know, it's going to take 24 to 48 hours sometimes to get that to sour down, to get it right. And if you're in a small brewery, that locks your boil kettle up for two days. And um, that didn't jive with you know, our demand that people had for our beer. So, um, we, we went through just arduous process of, you know, creating these SOPs kind of reining in our bacteria strain and, and you can train them a little bit. And 
we've got our sour strain now. Um, you know, we keep it alive for a couple of years, you know, usually at a time. And uh, we can get that thing to sour in under 12 hours, right to the profile that we want. And then we run it through the lab every time, um, just doing a, a total acidity um, assay on it to make sure that it's exactly the sour profile and content that we want, that it's going to taste the way we want it to. Um, and then that's that's augmented every time, depending on what we think the final beer is. And if we're doing, um, if we're doing a really big strawberry beer, uh, we're going to have to produce something a little more acidic than normal just to to return some acid to that, that beer because okay. that strawberry isn't going to come in super acidic. If we're yeah. doing like a, a lime and passion fruit sour, like we can, we do not need to add any acid to this thing. That, that yeah. fruit is going to come through real sharp and tart and it's going to be great. So we have to, you know, reduce how much acid we let that, uh, that bacteria culture make each time. So uh, we rein that in and control that. And that, that's what we like about kettle souring is that we can control that process entirely. So let me see if I can figure out, is chonk always, um, that's a stout or no, that's a sour, but that, yep. that is that more of like a dessert inspired? Yeah. So one? in our, so we have, uh, kind of like four lines, uh, that we do sours, um, five if you want to include plop in that um and so brains um is uh brains with eight a's uh is our um is our smoothie sour um so it's it's really fruit sea salt lactose and vanilla bean um and it's always kind of meant to be a fruit smoothie um slang du jour is our we call it a sour a la mode and that's our um our idea of like recreating like a physical dessert idea like pie cobbler things okay. like that and then chonk is like this uber decadent um uh, hefty sour and it's always like um ice cream you know chocolate and ice cream and peanut butter and um just really decadent and uh and 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 kind of fun and then uh pert uh p-r-r-r-t is uh, kind of an overarching series that we have. And so those are things like after school pert and perts these days, um, always different kind of names on that one. But pert is our kind of nostalgic kind of, um, there are no rules. It's all a joke, but we take <laughs> the, we take the creation of what we're talking about really seriously. So like we just, we just released after school pert again, which is a gushers and fruit by the foot um, inspired sour. And uh, we actually add those in there, but there's no amount of fruit by the foot that you could add this thing, add to a beer <laughs> to make it taste like fruit by the foot. Yeah. So you have to build up that flavor profile. Um, so, you know, we use different fruits to kind of build that dried fruit, jammy, berry, but then there's always this really cool tartness that's on the back. So like some passion fruit or lime in there. Um, and so that's what pert is. Pert's all weird all the time. And then plop is uh, our version of a seltzer, kind of the anti-seltzer. Um, it's uh, we always say it's not not that kind of a seltzer. It's a Drucker seltzer. <laughs> and uh, what's really cool about seltzers is that um, if we if we brew them just at the base, they are totally neutral. Um, it's it's like half strength vodka, so we can use that to make to do totally new uh, flavor experiences that otherwise wouldn't work all that well in a sour. Um, you know, sour is all the rage. People, that name just kind of 
carries people's interest. But there's a lot of really cool flavors that we could put into a beverage. But if we have that acidity in there, it's not going to come through right. It's, it's either it needs to be more savory or, um, you know, smooth to it. And if you have that acid, it starts to add a cut in there. And so like one of the ones we always give as a good example is like peanut butter. Peanut butter is like super dangerous to do in a, in a sour. You have to do it just right. And there's this super fine line where it tips over and that acid starts to make the peanut butter taste like dry roasted kind of sharp peanuts rather than creamy smooth peanut butter because it's that acid wants to dry it out. It wants to sharpen that, that peanut butter flavor a little bit. But if you do peanut butter in a seltzer, it comes through crazy smooth and, and just like, just like Jeff out of the can. I always thank you for the explanation. Cause I always wondered why some, uh, peanut butter sour beers tasted good. And then some are just atrocious. And I'm guessing that it's that where there is like such a fine line is- on there. And, and really like it's, um, you know, where we want, sometimes where we want that peanut butter flavor to be, we know we can't go there in a sour cause it, yeah. it won't taste right. Yeah. Cause like I've had some that were really good. Then I've had some that were just close to undrinkable because mm-hmm. it, and, and it was exactly how you described. So I, it, that makes sense. It's, I didn't, I didn't realize that the acidity does that to, uh, peanut, like how peanut butter flavoring is the perceived and I think flavoring, like, but the flavor of another one we love playing around with is like cream of coconut and cream of coconut is so cool. Uh, in a beverage, it, it's, you know, it's creamy, it's, it's sweet. It has this, um, you know, just richness from the coconut. Um, and it doesn't work as well with all that sour base in there. It starts to get, I mean, it starts to taste like a different thing. It's not cream of coconut. It's not like a, it's not like a, a painkiller cocktail that doesn't have any acidity or brightness to it. That's all smooth cream, bright pineapple. Um, so that, that, I mean, the whole reason we made plop was so that we could make a painkiller. Um, and um, that's what that, and then it, it just spawned off this whole other brand, but, um, that's, what's so fun about plop. So those are the, the four ish fruited weird things we do are brains, okay. slang du jour, chonk, pert. And then if you consider plop part of that, um, oh, the strawberry rhubarb cobbler sounds amazing. Yeah, I so, absolutely love strawberry rhubarb mm-hmm. sour beers. Yeah. And we love doing that cobbler treatment. We, we kind of have this uh, granola, brown sugar, cinnamon, vanilla uh, treatment that we give to the, the beer. And it, it's crazy how, um, that, the, how what that beer tastes like right after that's done adding. It, it totally transforms it from you know, a berry, berry smoothie into literal pie or cobbler. It, it's crazy. That's um, I recognize it's an absolutely completely different beer, um, but like New Glarus strawberry rhubarb ale yep. is one of my absolute favorite beers in the world, and it's annoying that I'm so far away from uh, Wisconsin. Yeah, <laughs> that one's a hard hard one to get. Yeah, even, even only, around here, I've only had it like twice, but like I just absolutely love that beer. And then just I don't I don't know that I've ever had a strawberry rhubarb rhubarb beer that I didn't like. That just seems to be like a flavor profile that plays perfectly well as a as a beer. 
so was um was it a hard sell to the Fargo area for these types of beers or did or even like just I guess hazy IPAs and like just non-normal in air quote beers or was it was it just instantly accepted no um (laughs) uh, you know north dakota does not have a craft beer naive uh scene you know even even though breweries are pretty new around here um north dakota's got great taste and has been you know has has had a great craft beer scene with just amazing craft beer bars for for a long time um, so one thing that was just kind of tough as a brewery for everyone out here is that, um, you know, I go to, I go to some places and I think, um, you know, local, local beer is very well supported. Um, but you don't, um, I think a lot of people are supporting it cause it's local. Uh, people here expected crazy high quality. They wanted world-class beers because, you know, we had to compete right up against stone IPA and all these other ones in, if, if it wasn't as good, uh, a bar wouldn't put it on. And that, um, you know, I, I don't see that in other craft beer scenes, um, but that was actually good for us. You know, it was frustrating. It was good for the other breweries around here too, because it made us, um, it made us super focused on quality and super, super focused on our brand and what we were doing with intention. Um, and then, you know, I think, um, a lot of bars and liquor stores around here are um, very responsive to their customers, uh, but they're very conservative. You know, they don't want to take a risk on something new. Um, you know, we're not we're not getting a ton of a lot of breweries like crazy specialty stuff. We're getting the you know like the regular highly produced stuff. Um, and so when we wanted to push out all these specialty beers, um, bars and restaurants were super skittish of that, um, and therefore our distributor was super skittish of that. Um, and we were doing it in the tap room and we couldn't really get it to, we weren't getting a lot of interest uh, from, from our distributors and from, uh, you know, bars and restaurants and liquor stores. And about 20, 2016, we just had a, um, we just couldn't take it anymore. And so we said, screw it. We don't care. We are only going to make these beers that we care about we don't care if if bars and restaurants want to buy them we will either sell them here or we'll sell them wherever they're wanted where you know that was when we decided to go to minneapolis we decided looking out into distro trying to find markets that these would resonate with and um and i, I you know we got laughed out of some rooms when we told people that yeah our ipas are we're not doing a 9.99 pale ale we're going to do a 16.99 ipa um, cause it's, it's that much hops and that's how important this beer is. And we're sorry that it's expensive to make, but it, it's going to change the IPA game. And, you know, this is 2015, 2016, right at the beginning of, I mean, they weren't even, I don't even know what they were called and they weren't called hazy IPAs. They, um, and we, we just believed so passionately that this was the only thing worth doing. And we didn't care what size this made us, or if this made us go out of business. Um, you know, we, I, I think that a lot of businesses, unfortunately don't get to choose the reason they go to business. And, um, we kind of thought that, you know, if we end up (laughs) on the chopping block, uh, I want to know that, you know, we want to know that, that we made the choices that were worth dying for. And that this was, this was our result. We chose this. Um, Yeah. I was just going to say it it was a hill that you were willing to die on. And, um, it exploded in Minneapolis. It exploded in these outside markets and it pretty quickly, um, 
turned the bars and restaurants and liquor stores uh, over to, you know, understanding that having having 16 SKUs on the shelf at a liquor store, because that's how many beers we produce in a two week period. Um, that's okay. That's going it, to, it, I know you've never seen this before. I know this hasn't happened, but just give us a chance. We're, we're selling every drop we can make and we want to partner with you too. Who is your artist? Um, so our, our artist is, he goes by punch gut. Um, <laughs> And uh, that seems like a very fitting name for the, the art style. <laughs> yeah. And it makes it's, it, it's totally perfect. That's his alter ego. That's his kind of art name. Um, he's a phenomenally talented artist. He's, he's been doing this for decades. He was, you know, in the nineties was doing, you know, national gig posters and kind of always looking for that underground art form The you know, gig posters were these fun ways to tell a story about it, you know, one single concert and, it's, it's not supposed to be something that's hung in a gallery or cost, you know, $10,000. It's print it up, paste it up, tear it down, you know, graffiti a wall, stuff like that. And he's also a, you know, phenomenal graphic designer and has done crazy corporate stuff and total corporate rebrands and collegiate, you know, identities. And so he maintains that, uh, that punch gut moniker to kind of, kind of separate his two worlds, I think. And, uh, and yeah, it couldn't have been more perfect name for him. Is he, um, is he local? Yep. Okay. Yep. So he's a local Fargo guy and, and, um, it's, it's, it's so much fun kind of creating that brand nightmare dream of, of where we're going (laughs) with this. And, you know, no label is really made in a vacuum. They're all made, um, you know, either considering where we've gone or where we're trying to go or what this is going to stand next to. Um, and so it's, it's so much fun to not just look at one label for all of the weird goofy Easter eggs and fun colors that are in it. But like when you start lining all these up together, uh, I don't even think we need to put our name on, on cans anymore. I think, I think it looks, that's exactly what we're, we've just set a tapestry out there and kind of a, a whole palette of what, what, it, what that brand portfolio looks like. It's a very definitely unique, recognizable artistic style. And, you know, our idea on that is that's such an important way to tell the story around the beer. And, you know, the names or the art stories are either some just goofy story that we were thinking about or kind of just a fun idea. Maybe it has something to do with the beer. Um, it, it's an inside joke or just something goofy. And that's that's part of the experience that we want to give people that that they get to look at the can and try and think about what we were thinking about or, you know, step inside that that story universe. And, and really for how much time and passion and care we put into the inside of the can, I, I think it's a, it's a loss if you don't put that on the outside of the can and it wouldn't feel right if we didn't. Who comes up with the names? Um, you know, it's, uh, that's kind of all done in that, um, that we call it like dreaming and scheming. Um, and so <laughs> it, we, we have a couple different threads where, you know, we're all, throwing up ideas. Um, sometimes it's a, sometimes it's just a single word where it's like, I'm, I'm really liking this. Like where, where does this go? Sometimes it's an artwork idea and you know, it takes a team to do that. And it takes, it, it takes inspiration from any direction. Um, you know, whether it's the actual name that comes first and then the artwork, whether it's the artwork and then you name the artwork, whether it's the beer idea and then, you know, what kind of a story can we tell around that beer? And then what does that story start to look like? And is it a name? Do we get a name first? Do we get artwork? It can go anywhere. And so we're all chiming in for that stuff. How do you craft your flavor profiles for the, um, 
the crazy ones uh is it like you come up like i guess just where do you pull your inspiration for those from yeah i think you know we're always looking outside of the craft beer world we're looking at um we're looking at the uh the malt shop we're looking at the cocktail world we're we're looking at like the the bakery shop or you know any any of those places we're you know we're trying to pull um, either a, a single ingredient and see what we can do with that. Um, you know, like we have a beer that's, um, it's called people eater and it's blueberry and Thai basil. And that idea was really like, how could we, how could we start using like an herb? Like we, we wanted to get really weird with an herb in there. And we were, we were playing with how, how fun basil could be. And then basil with fruit is, um, so refreshing and, and sweet and, um, and, but then savory. And, and there's almost this like, you know, licorice spice sometimes from the, from the basil, you know, we, we, um, you, you can take, you, we can take any flavor component and then we, we see if that's possible in a beer. Um, so that can come anywhere when it's, when it's slang, we're, we're looking at, like I said, like that, that bakery shop, when it's chonk, we're kind of thinking about this, the decadence of a ice cream shop or what, what other flavors can we build on here? Um, so anywhere. Yeah, there's so many times where I've seen a dessert on a menu or I've had one where I'm like, this would really taste good as a beer form. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so then it's, then you just spend, um, you just go down the rabbit hole of ingredient sourcing and, you know, what is it, what is it that will, how do we reverse engineer this flavor? What, what builds this back up? And like, yes, this ingredient is what's in the, in the, in like the physical thing we're talking about, but there's no way that that, that ingredient is going to you know, deliver that flavor or that ingredient at any scale is going to cost. I mean, this is going to be a hundred dollar four pack if, if we <laughs> use that I and mean, we can't, we can't do that. So how do we be efficient about this and how do we get that flavor out? What, um, so you, you mentioned one big exciting thing coming up soon. Uh, what, what other things do you have around the corner that you're excited with excited about with the future? Sure. So we've been working on this for a couple of years and um, we kind of, because we think everything is part of an experience and part of a story and we need a way to tell that story. Um, we're really excited that as a, the only brewery expansion that's happening as we're building this new thing is in the, in the, the kind of the structure that connects these two buildings. Uh, we're going to, we'll be building out a, um, a fooder and cool ship uh, expansion for the brewery. So we've been working on just with, with wild barrels, um, you building up this mixed firm and spawn firm pro t- uh, program. And, uh, those will be coming out with the launch of the, um, of the Brujala project. And we're really excited to, to have all these beers that, um, that we think are, that we're super passionate about, but you know, they take all this time and craft and spontaneity and kind of, you know, the mystery of the universe, um, Kind of the, the mystery of the microscope in them. Um, and uh, we, we can't wait for people to try those. I, um, I love how many breweries recently have listed what they're excited about is being that they're getting a cool ship. There, there's something so, um, so amazing about, uh, you know, setting that beer out, letting it cool off yeah. and then letting the, Letting the air, letting the terroir decide what this beer is going to be. And just let nature do its thing and yep. see what happens. Yeah, <laughs> it's you know it's kind of stepping back to that time when 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 brewers didn't even really understand what this organism was. Um, 
that, that was doing this, but they did it partly because they had to cool the beer down and that's how it, you know, they, something special happened when they, when they did it this way. Um, and so to use that tradition, uh, but then also to impart modern, um, you know, modern brewing capabilities and then also, um, you know, crazy, weird creativity into it. And so what can you do with when you have this historical um, tradition and we have a, you know, a phenomenally efficient and, you know, brewery with limitless capabilities, anything's possible. Um, and what was the time frame again for the hotel market food hall project? So be like fall of 2022. So right, right around the corner. We're not that far. Um, is there anything else that uh, we didn't cover that you want to touch on? No, I mean, um, the one thing we always say too is that, um, you know, whether you've had our beer or you're trying to find it um, and uh, and you want to chat with us or ask us a question, just please reach out on Instagram or Facebook, send us messages. You can go to our website and contact us on there too. Uh, we love hearing from people. We love um, we love seeing stories, what people are enjoying, how they're enjoying our beer. We, we love sharing that stuff. Um, but mostly, you know, we're just a small team of people up here in Fargo brewing beer. And uh, we just cannot believe that, that our beer gets across the country, gets across the world. And um, it's so cool for us to see where it goes, see what people think of it, whether they love it or hate it. Um, we want to hear it. And we love, we love getting the chance to interact with people and, um, you know, see the full circle of where our beer went. So reach out to us, hit us up on all the pages. We love chatting. And you're at Drucker Brewing everywhere, right? Yep. Or is it? Okay. Um, I real quick to the hotel back to the hotel. Um, how, how many rooms will that be? Uh, so it'll be 33 hotel rooms. Nice. All right. Well, once again, Mark, thank you so much for your time today. Um, I really enjoyed learning about Drecker. I can't wait to, uh, find out a little bit more about Robert Asp. Uh, so I love that story. And, I think uh, I need to convince my wife that uh, next year for my birthday, we need to go to stay at a brewery in Fargo, North Dakota. Yeah, come visit. All right. Uh, Thank you. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks, Chris. The Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook. And if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening. Oh my God, that's good.